Good morning, guys. How are you? Nice. Uh, I'm excited to be here with you this morning. And uh, my name's John King. I'm one of the one of the leaders here. And uh, looking forward to jumping into Ephesians three. This was a, a great chapter. And uh, I am going to start though with just a fact that I think a lot of us would would agree with. And um, I'll just say it right now. But I think Braveheart is the single greatest guy movie of all time. Am I right? Yeah. Okay. Don't bring Gladiator in here. Don't bring Shawshank Redemption in here. Okay. Like. Braveheart is where it's at. Um, I'm also under contract to say Braveheart and or Band of Brothers in every single uh, summit at some point. So, <laughs> um, but so, so Braveheart's an awesome guy movie, and it's also a really great example of what is called a um, cinematic chiasm. So we're going to learn something this morning as well, right? So a chiasm is, is a point as a story where a story is leading up, leading up to a point in time where it goes A, B, B, and then something happens, and then after that it actually uh, reverses order and it goes all the way back B, B, A, all the way. And so um, chiasm, we've got a definition of it up here. Can everybody say uh, chiasm? Do you know what that is? Chiasm. Or as they say out in East Texas, chiasm. Um, uh, and, and so the, the story of Braveheart, we all know it, and we would all probably point to, if we said, okay, what was the, the climactic point in uh, time for uh, in Braveheart, it was probably the time where he was on the battlefield and he was getting the troops ready. Everybody remembers that battle, right, where he's, he's charging the troops. He's like, yeah, you can walk away from today and you'll live, but you're not going to live a life that you really would have enjoyed as much as you're going to enjoy this day today. That's an awesome, awesome scene, but it's actually not the climactic scene in the story. The climactic scene actually comes a few before that, and it's when uh, William Wallace comes back home and he finds that his, uh, his wife has been killed by um, Longfellows, the, the Englishman. And he is just completely heartbroken. He's, he, he comes in, and he actually goes to her funeral. So her funeral is actually the, the point in time where the chiasm occurs. And there's a scene in there where her father-in-law, or his father-in-law, her, her dad, actually comes up to him. And William Wallace has nothing to do. He just, he's just on his knees, and he's just, he's just bowing before him because he's like, I have nothing to give right now. Like, I, I'm, I'm completely in complete humility of uh, every uh, piece of this moment right now. And so from there, like that, that's, the, that's the moment in time where everything changes. So everybody remembers the rest of the story. So then he goes out and he gets his, he gets his troops and he's on the battlefield and, um, you know, he's racing around the villages and you guys know the, the rest of the story and freedom, right? Uh, it's good. It's amazing. But that point in time at her funeral was really the, the point where, where everything changed for uh, for William Wallace. And so that, that's the point in time today. It's really cool. I'm, I'm excited today to dig into Ephesians 3 because the book of Ephesians is actually very similar uh, to Braveheart. It doesn't follow exactly the same story, but it does follow the same pattern of liturgy um, where you have a point in time where from this point in time, everything changes. So the, the first three weeks of Ephesians, we've been talking about our belief. We've been talking about our wealth is in Christ and who we are in Christ, right? And then the next three weeks, everything's going to change after this day today. Everything else after this is going to be all about our walk with Christ and who, you know, how we're walking with Christ next. And so today is really that point in time. This is Paul's prayer. So Paul's prayer today is that point in time that we're pointing to to say this, everything from today, the centerpiece of this today is really just complete dependence on God. So if you don't hear me say anything else today, that's the key to this whole chapter is that, you know, up to this point, our belief, everything that we're learning and believing in God is going to change and going to affect our motivation. It's going to encourage us to, to live it out in the next three chapters. So as we get into, you know, how we love our wives, how we love each other in the, in the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace in the church body, 
all that, none of that happens without a complete dependence on God today. And that starts with Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3, uh, 14. So there was a few, um, a few things that I wanted to point to first, where uh, this week, I'm sure as everybody dug into the Scripture, uh, the first 13 verses were, were very rich as well, and so I'll touch on those briefly, and then I'm going to spend most of our time together uh, today in Paul's prayer. So uh, if you want to turn to your booklets, uh, the um, first 13 uh, verses, there were three points that really stood out during these verses, and what were the purpose of these? So the first was God's purpose. And so uh, God's purpose in this, in these uh, first 13, were really that he was bringing light to everyone through uh, the mystery of the church, right? And so that, that his grace, his goodness would be known to everybody. And so that was, that was God's purpose in the, in the midst of these 13. And what an amazing thing. And not only was he showing his goodness to us, to the Jews and the Gentiles, but he was actually showing his goodness and grace to those in the heavenly realm as well. It's amazing, right? Like, we should be in awe of that. So those were, that was a big point that um, Paul pointed out here in these first 13. He also pointed to what was Paul's purpose. He says it three times. He says, I'm here to be a minister of the gospel. I'm here to preach Christ. That was Paul's purpose. And then our purpose in these first 13 were really to be uh, a part of God's plan. So to walk with him and, and to, to using his power, having that belief in him, walking with him and, and being a part of his plan. So those were kind of the three purposes that stood out in those first 13 verses. Now, to the prayer, to the chiasm, to the point in time where everything changes from here on out. Uh, we're going to hit first, uh, there, was, there was two things that really stood out to me when I was digging into the text of uh, his prayer. And that was first, the power of God. I think it's, it's, it's amazing, and we're going to really jump into to what the power of God looks like. Paul talks about it here in this prayer. He also talks about it in, um, earlier in the chapter as well. And then we're going to talk about Paul's posture and uh, what that looked like during his, uh, um, uh, during his prayer. And then as men, I'm really excited for this morning because honestly, as men, we're going to be praying together. We're going we're to get down our knees and, and submit ourselves to God today. So it's going to be a really great morning. Uh, it's a centerpiece. It's kind of a big deal. This is a, this is a great one. So you guys ready to jump in? All right. So first off, let's jump into God's power. So this was the, the thing that stood out when it comes to God's power. And he says it, so, so Paul says it over and over in uh, Ephesians 3. He, he mentions it twice here in these uh, verses. He also mentions it earlier. But um, I think everyone in this room would agree. I mean, if, if I were to say, hey, raise your hand if you think God is more powerful than, than I am. I would hope that everybody in the room would raise their hand. Like, at least 99.9%, right, would say, yeah, God's more powerful than I am. Like, I, I believe that. Um, but how many of us actually live that out? How many of us actually on a day-to-day basis live that out? I know I, know I struggle with that, where it's hard. <clears throat> you know, we have struggles of work and family and, you know, money. And there's, there's so many things that are going on in our life where we, do we actually live out a life where we say, no, God, you're, you're in control of this. Like, you're way more powerful than I am, and I, I can't lean on my own understanding here. Like, it's all, it's all you. And so I think that's something that, uh, you know, all of us wrestle with is, is God's power. But what's cool is, is Paul tells us very clearly, actually, how do we live out a life that's dependent on God and his power alone. So let's go to verses, uh, the next verses of 16 to 17. If you've got your Bibles, if you've got your booklets or your, your phones, whatever you got, um, pull that out because we're going to read through uh, this, which is his uh, answer to how do we live in a life uh, in God's power. And so he says that according to the riches of his glory... He may grant you to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in your inner being, 
so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love. And so that's verses 16 and 17. There's four things that he points out in those verses. He makes it really clear, like how do we live a life with God's, God's power and grace? And the, the, the first is just God's grace. So according to uh, God, obviously, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It was a grace that, that before any of, any of us were even born or, or had heard about Christ, like his goodness was there, that his, his grace was there and alive. Uh, and then through faith, so uh, last week we touched on faith, right? So there is, there's absolutely nothing that we did. Uh, we can't bring, hey, I'm a great dad. Hey, I'm a great husband. Hey, I've done all these great things for people around me and stuff. We can't bring any of that to the cross. We have to lay it down and say, God, Jesus, you are, you are enough. I'm going to lay all that down at the foot of the cross. And that's when we've taken our step of, uh, of faith. So his grace and his faith are two very important pieces of his power. And then once we've received his faith, so once, once we've said, yeah, we're going to put our trust in him, he points to the Holy Spirit being in our inner being. So the day that we've made that decision, the Holy Spirit's actually in our inner being. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, For we were baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, Greek, slave or free, we were all given one spirit to drink. So we've made it, we've professed that we confess with our heart, believe in our mouth, believe within our heart, confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, right? Like we've made that decision to, to step out. Uh, we believe that his, his gift was a free gift given to us. We didn't earn it. We didn't do anything to deserve it. And then that Holy Spirit is, is within us. So why, why do we still live a life where we say, nope, we're more powerful than you, God? Right? Like, why, why do we continue to walk every single day with these anxieties and this, this pressure on our shoulders saying, like, I've got this. Like, I can, I can do this myself. And I think a lot of it goes back to verse 17. And there's a key word here that I wanted to, that really stood out to me. And it says, Christ dwelling in our hearts. I would circle that one if I was you. Like, dwell. What does that really look like? Christ dwelling in our hearts. And it really comes through, this is where it comes through his strength and not, not our strength alone. And so are we daily abiding with him? Are we dwelling with Christ? Are we getting to know him on a daily basis? Are we uh, looking at him to say, God, I don't, I don't have the answers. You know, King David in Psalm 25 says, uh, teach me your truths, lead me to your paths and guide me, Lord, because I, I don't know the answers to this. And so are we dwelling with him on a daily basis? And, and that, and that alone is how we continue to put Christ in front of everything else that we've got going on. That's, that's how we live a life dependent on God's power. It's so easy for us as men to say, yeah, I've, I've trusted in him. I believe that this is true. But if we're not dwelling with him, if we're not in this and surrounding ourselves with those that are dwelling with him, uh, then it's going to be hard for us to, to live a life that is completely dependent on God and, and his power alone. And so... The most important uh, piece of this prayer that I, I just wanted to point out today uh, is certainly, if you walk away with anything else, is that dependence is on God. But a lot of times that dependence comes from just an attitude of our hearts. And Paul starts, starts the entire prayer out. I just, I love this, with complete submission. So kind of back to that William Wallace moment, right, where he's like on his knees and he's, he's saying that, you know, I'm, I'm not enough right now. And Paul starts this, this entire prayer out with that as well. So if you go to verse 314, which is the very first verse uh, of this, he says, therefore, I bow my knees before the Father. And this is really cool stuff. So, so 314 starts with, I bow my knees before the Father, right? And then 4-1, so spoiler alert, next week's going to be 4-1. 4-1 says, therefore, I urge you, brothers, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. 
So he says, 3.14, I bow my knees before the Father. Next week, he's going to kick it, the whole thing off with, therefore I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. So Paul is telling us that before we can walk, before we can run, before we can do anything else, before we can hit the battlefield out there, we have to first submit and bow our knees to him. Amen, right? It's a really great piece where I think God touched my heart to say, God, I, I am so many times just running, running, right? I'm just walking. I'm trying to do this on my, own, on my own power without actually submitting to you, without coming to you with submission to say, I'm bowing my knees before you, God, with my heart right now, you know, before this meeting, before, this, before I drive back into my driveway with, with my family. Am I, am I praying and putting you in front of this? And am I saying, you know, I'm, I'm going to lean on your interests, not on, not on my own. I'm going to lean on the interest of these others that are in my house, not on my own. You know, as I walk into work, is, am I praying through this? And am I submitting to you, God, of where, where do you have me in this? You know, like, where, where, who are the people around this table that need to hear your good word? And before I can walk, I need to first submit to him. And he urges us in this. So th- this comparison, I think, is really important. And, you know, honestly, where, where is Paul right now? Do you might know where Paul is as he's writing this book to Ephesians? He's in prison, right? Come on, guys. He's told us like 10 times throughout the whole book. <laughs> so he's in prison. He actually even told us in verse 1. He said, I, therefore, as a prisoner of the gospel uh, for our sake. And so uh, Paul's in a posture of um, submission because he's, he is in prison. So in this, in this point in time, he's obviously writing the letter to the Ephesians in prison. Uh, but he says this, I mean, there's a humility throughout the entire book, and especially in, in uh, 3, where he says, I'm the very least of these saints. Um, he, he points it again right now, obviously, I bow my knees. And so for us, you know, I think it's hard sometimes for us to get in a position and a posture of submission, because we're just so comfortable, right? Like all of us, I mean, we're sitting here in nice, comfortable chairs in a great, like, wealthy North Dallas neighborhood. Like, this is very comfortable in so many ways, right? Like, we're, we're in a position of this. If we were on house arrest in Rome fighting for our faith, if we were, you know, being persecuted for our faith in an underground church in China right now, as a lot of our brothers are, like, would that be different? Would we have a different posture right now than, than we probably do? And not, I'm not even meaning like a posture of where we're sitting. I'm just a meaning of a posture of our hearts. Because are we on a daily basis really seeing the battlefield out there? You know, are we seeing us walking into that as a point where we actually have to submit? Like, God, I, I don't have it all figured out. I don't have this meeting figured out. I don't have this, this plan figured out because I, I'm not enough. You're, you're the only thing that can be enough. And this is actually throughout Scripture. So um, in uh, examples throughout the Bible... There's a lot of examples throughout the Bible that, where guys are, are on their knees. Uh, Abraham, it says he fell on his face before God. Solomon knelt in prayer. And Jesus, time and time again, I mean, Jesus on the Mount of Olives, it says he withdrew from them and knelt down and prayed. But uh, how amazing it is to watch Jesus, right, and exactly what he's doing on a daily basis. And so many times he's trying to get away from the crowds. He's like stepping away from the boat. He's trying to get, get away and just kneel in front of God and say, God, <clears throat> take this meeting, take, take this day, take this next conversation I'm about to have, and, and I want you to be a part of this. I want you to be your power, not my own. Stephen, right before he was stoned, he fell on his knees and he cried out with a loud voice saying, Lord, don't, <clears throat> don't hold this sin against them. So there is, a, uh, there is something to prayer, obviously, that, that reflects our hearts. And I love, there's, there's a... Uh, 
uh, a quote that I just finished, um, Good and Beautiful God by uh, James Smith. It's an awesome book. And um, in, in the book, he talks a lot about our posture and, and kind of what prayer looks like for us. And uh, I, this quote specifically is just really good. And it was good for my heart. So it says, prayer is the gauge that exposes our heart's condition. Posture gives expression to the attitude of our hearts. So I'll say it again. Prayer is the gauge that exposes our heart's condition. How many of our hearts, if it's a gauge, how many of our hearts are filled right now, right? Like how, how many of our hearts are, are so filled up or are we running on empty? Are we, are we running into to life? Are we running into the battlefield just on empty? Our gauge is completely empty because we're not dwelling with Christ, right? We haven't put him in front of our day. We haven't put him in front of, of what's next. And a lot of times that gauge and, and, and prayer exposes that. Like it, it puts us in a position where our hearts are exposed. I know a lot of you would agree, when you pray with someone else, you really get to know their heart. You really get to know what's going on in their life and what matters to them. What we pray for often reflects exactly what our heart is. So prayer is the gauge, and the posture of that gives the expression of the attitude of our hearts. And does your family see this? Does your family see a, a, a dad, a father, a husband who's constantly on your knees saying, you know what, guys, I, I, I don't have it all figured out, but I know who does. Like, I, I'm going to point you to the one that does. I'm going to point you to Christ because he has, he has the answer. I, as your dad, I, as your husband, don't always have the answer, but I know, I know the one that does. And I think it's really important. So as, as we're jumping into Ephesians 5, as we're going to jump into the unity of the body in, in 4, it's, it's going to be really, really important that all of us take this wherever we go, right? That all of us have this submission in our community groups, in our families, where we're putting him in front of this. Because if we all lived like this, if we all lived where our gauge was full of Christ, where we're not running on empty and trying to do it ourselves and coming in with like our own opinions on things, how different would, would everyone around us you know, be? How, how, how much of a light would they see because of that? They would see Christ. They, they, wouldn't see, they wouldn't see us. They wouldn't point to us for anything. They would just say, wow, Christ is magnified in, in that, you know, in that work, in that, in that body, in that community. And that family, God is really glorified there. When was the last time that, that you guys were brought to a position of your knees where you just, you had, you realized that there was no power that you could, you could do it on your own. There's no way that you could do it on your own. I know for me, specifically, I remember exactly the day, I remember exactly the time. Um, <clears throat> it was February 14th, 2017. And this day was a day where uh, my father-in-law um, called and called my wife in the morning, and uh, my um, mother-in-law had passed away in the middle of the night <clears throat> through heart failure. And I just, I'll, I'll never forget standing, or, <clears throat> you know, first I was standing, next I was kneeling, and just going, God, I, I don't have it. Like, there's, there's nothing I have right now that I can, that I can give you. Um, I, at the time, I, I didn't know how to get through the next, the next minute, honestly. It was, it was kind of like, how do, we, how do we get the kids to school? How do we, how do we take the next step today? Um, how do we go through the next week? How do we go through the next month? And it's, and it's been constant. I mean, that's two and a half years ago. And I think even since then, there's been constant times of us just saying, God, like, it's, it's not us. It's not our power. And with, without him in those moments, honestly, there's no way we could have got through that. Like, 
<clears throat> there's no way, if, if, if my wife and I had not been dwelling with him, um, if, if we hadn't been running with community that, that was pointing us and pushing us to him, there would be no way, if we, if we didn't surround ourselves with family that, that said, hey, I'm going to point you to the, to love, the love of Christ because he's the only thing that can get you through this, it would have been really hard. And so that was a moment in time for me where I can point to and say, wow, my, my power, like whatever I, I think that I am, <clears throat> it, was not, it was not enough. It, it would never have been enough in that moment, right? Um, but God was. Like God was glorified. He, he, um, he had it. He still has it, you know? And, it, and it's a constant prayer that we as a family um, work through. And so, you know, I just, I urge all, all you guys to kind of think about what, what are, there, there may be big moments like that in your life where you're going, wow, yeah, I remember back on this day when this happened, my kid or my family member or something happened with my wife uh, <clears throat> or your parents or whatever that looked like, and, and, and you couldn't lean on your own understanding, right? Like there was no way. The flesh is so, <clears throat> so weak. The spirit is willing, though, um, as Jesus said. And so, so in those moments, are we are we so apt in those moments to say, God, you're, you're all that I can do right now, right? Like, there's nothing else that I can, that I can do this on my own. Uh, in those moments, I think it's sometimes easy just to, just to kneel before him and say, God, like, take this. But, but in, our, in our day, how, how do we today do that and have that posture of, of prayer? How, how do we have that attitude today where we, where we look at our, our week ahead, where we look at the next, next couple hours and these next couple of meetings that you're about to walk into, uh, next conversations, lunches that you're going to have today and stuff, and say, God, I don't have this. Like, like you have this, okay? So I'm going to dwell on you. I'm going to be dependent on you. Um, and, and I'm going to submit to you. I'm going to bow my knees before I ever walk in, in, into this situation. Um, how amazing that would be if, if all of us as men in, in this room would, would walk out of here with a posture of prayer. Even though we're walking, we would still be in that posture of prayer and that uh, we would be bowing our knees as we walk in a, in a lot of ways. 